Good morning, church. Man, what a great day to be together to celebrate uh, our risen Savior together, one with uh, each other. The family of God coming together on the first day of the week. It is always a joy to be together, amen, uh, to celebrate, again, that Lord of Lord, King of all kings. He is the reason we have blessing in our life, and we want to share that blessing with all those around us to let others know the hope that they can have in Christ Jesus. Uh, happy Father's Day to everybody that uh, is uh, a father, grandfather. If you're mentoring someone, there are numerous ways that you can pour into young people, and I know that uh, you are doing that uh, daily in your life. We also want to say a welcome to our guests that are here today. Thanks for joining us and being a part of our service. Uh, we hope that you've seen Christ in our midst. And of course, we would hope that if you're looking for a church home, you could say, man, I found it. Cross Point is where I want to be. And uh, we invite you into our family to say, hey, help us tell the story of hope that is Jesus Christ. We have all been blessed with gifts uh, and talents, and we want to use those to God's glory. And uh, we, we each and every one have something to give, if you will, something to the story. God is doing an incredible thing in the world, and we want to be a part uh, of that. So thanks for being together today to celebrate that reason and story of hope. We're going to be in 2 Kings chapter 22 this morning, and I hope you've got your Bibles. All of our text will be on the screen except for the first two verses that I'm going to read here out of 2 Kings. Uh, it's a great opportunity to dig into this Father's Day idea and talk about some habits that we as parents, whether you're a dad or a mom, can have as we pour into our own kids and maybe those that we've quote-unquote adopted along the way. Many of you know that we are in the middle of... Uh, Looking through it, at First John, the Apostle John wrote that letter to some churches in Asia Minor, uh, and we'll finish up that series next week talking about the power of the Holy Spirit. What does it mean for you to be plugged into the power of the Holy Spirit? How can that change your walk, and how can that help you stay in the light? Uh, so you don't want to miss la uh, next week when we come together and uh, discuss how that can affect you in a very positive direction in your own life. Well, this story uh, that we're going to start with this morning is the kickoff to talking about the habits that you and I should have in our life as we mentor folks, as we pour into our own kids, but maybe those also that uh, you find uh, that are part of an extended family or maybe neighborhood kids, maybe even right here in our congregation, folks that you interact with and give high fives to on a Sunday morning. Uh, it's a great opportunity for us to, to better understand how God's called us to parent those that he puts in our life. But I did want to start with uh, this text out of 2 Kings. So let's read the first two verses uh, together. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. His mother was Jedidiah, the daughter of Adiah from Bozkath. He did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight and followed the example of his ancestor David. He did not turn away from doing what was right. Now, I don't know about you, but how, how many of you know an eight-year-old? Raise your hand. Yeah, how many of you would like to be told what to do by an eight-year-old? <laughs> That's a little scary, isn't it? Today, all day, we're playing with Legos and McDonald's. I don't know what it would look like, but it would be a little scary, I'm sure, for some adults. Josiah comes to the throne when he is eight years old, but it does say that he acted like, looked like, leaned back into his ancestor David, a man after God's own heart. Now, David was a king that was a king some 16 kings before Josiah took the throne. 
David and Solomon followed God. They uh, together got ready the temple, and then Solomon built the temple in Jerusalem. Uh, It was an incredible father-son relationship, and they loved God throughout that process. Uh, Eventually, Solomon would die, and his two sons would fight over uh, Israel, and uh, the, the kingdom would be torn in half, with one taking the top ten tribes that are called Israel, and then the bottom two tribes, the southern tribes, called Judah. Uh, Josiah is reigning in Judah, where Jerusalem is located. But it's important for us to get a little backstory on what Josiah dealt with in his own family tree. Now, he's looking all the way back to King David. He's wanting to be a person like David, a person that God is pleased with and loves. But if you look at his grandfather, a guy by the name of Manasseh. Now, Manasseh is uh, a tough cookie. He is not someone that follows God. Text says that he did evil in the eyes of God, and he did some deplorable things in the eyes of God. As a matter of fact, in the temple in Jerusalem, it says that Manasseh set up prayer altars or shrines uh, to every god imaginable within the temple of God himself. It says that all over the land that he he erected and raised uh, shrines for the worship of Baal, and his consort, Asherah. And so the land was in confusion about who should we worship? What's going on here? Manasseh was also into sorcery and divination. He was a guy that did not have God in his heart. He wanted to do what he wanted to do. He also worshipped a God by the name of Molech. Let me tell you a little something about Molech. Molech, the the idol for Molech was a humanoid figure with arms outstretched like this. Uh, And the altar of fire was underneath the arms of Molech. And if you were a devout follower of Molech, you would take your own child and place him in the arms of the idol to be burned alive. Text tells us that Manasseh did just that very thing. He ruled for some 55 years in Judah. And then he died, and his son rose to power, became king, a guy by the name of Amon. Amon ruled only two years. The Bible says that he was as bad as his father, and those closest to him had had enough. And so they assassinated Amon. When he died, his son, Josiah, only eight years old at the time, became king of Judah. And the Bible says he did not do what his father and grandfather did, but looked all the way back to King David and wanted to follow God. By the age of 26, Josiah is actually rebuilding and revamping the temple of God. He's clearing out all of the other gods that used to be worshipped. He's going throughout all the land, tearing down the altars of Baal and the Asherah poles. He's reminding Israel where they came from, and it pleased God. He was a man who loved God and wanted to follow God, wanted to take after his ancestor David in the process. You see, Josiah made a decision to make some changes in his own life. He changed some habits that had been formed. He chose to break the cycle, if you will. And maybe like Josiah in your own life, maybe you reflect on your own father and you're not 
happy with maybe the way you were raised or, or how he interacted with you. Maybe you don't feel like you had a great dad. Maybe you don't feel like that you yourself are a great dad. Maybe you were so blessed in life that you had a dad that was everything a dad could be, everything that a godly dad could and should be. But whatever the case in your life, you can make a change. You can stop the cycle, just like Josiah did in his own story. There there are moments in your life where you can change things like how long you stay at work, what type of work you bring home, how much time you dedicate to your own kids for wrestling, hanging out together at the park, showing them how to change a flat tire, all of those things that go along with being a dad in life. You can reveal maybe some of your own weaknesses and kind of dethrone yourself to let them know that you're human too, that you need grace as well. It is tough at times, though, to look at God, like we talked about last week, as a heavenly father. We think of that word, and many times we see God through the image of our own earthly father, and it's not always everything that it could be or should have been. Last week, I talked about this book, God Distorted, and I wanted to read just some of the chapter headings that John has listed here. Maybe you fall into, into rhythm right here. He says, maybe, maybe you had an absentee father. Maybe you had a passive father. Maybe you had a demanding father or an enabling father. Maybe you had a controlling father or an abusive father. Maybe an accusing father. I want to remind us this morning that our Heavenly Father is absolutely perfect. He is none of those things. And praise God for that. Amen? What a joy it is to know that we serve a Father who loves us so very much that He sent His only Son so that He could have a relationship with you. Now, I have been asked in the past, you know, Tim, why on Mother's Day do you always preach a sweet, soft sermon on Mother's Day? And on Father's Day, you seem to gig us just a little bit harder. Well, I'll say this, and that's not my intention, certainly, but I do know guys respond to challenge. And so today, I hope that we'll look at these habits that we're going to look at kind of as a challenge to think about, and where am I at in my life? How do I interact with my own kids and those I've kind of adopted along the way? Am I everything that God wants me to be in their lives? We want to be intentional about being the parents that God's created us to be. It's a special position. Uh, And your kids only have one set of parents. That first habit that I want to throw out this morning is that you and I really should speak affirming words. We really need to pour into our kids in an incredible way because there is power in words. They can either lift up or they can tear down. King David's son, Solomon, said in Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 18, some people make cutting remarks, but the words of the wise bring healing. And you and I want to bring that type of healing to those around us. This world is full of negativity. It's full of Debbie Downers, if you will. And we want to be the person on the scene who is willing to build up and affirm and remind them who they are in God's sight. John Eldridge, who's a prolific uh, writer, says your kiddos always want to hear two sets of phrases from you, and these are those two phrases. You have what it takes, 
and you are worth fighting for. Your kids long to hear those two ideas from you, and you can say those in different and sundry ways, but speak those affirming words into your kids' lives. For better or for worse, you and I mold our kids' character, how they feel about themselves and their self-esteem. Dads, if you have daughters, that daughter desperately wants to hear from you that they're beautiful, that they're intelligent, that they are gifted young women. They long to hear those praises from you. Dads, if you've got sons in your life, those sons want to hear you say that they are capable, that they can accomplish anything that they want to in life, that they've got wisdom and that they're good-looking kids. Your kids want to hear those affirming words, those words that build up. Catch them doing great things in their life. And in that moment, build them up and remind them of how important they are in the story of God. A second habit to to form would be finding ways to be actively involved in their life. Any one of us could pull out our calendar right now and we were pulled different directions. We've got a full day today, no doubt, with celebrations and lunches and dinners and hugs and storytelling. It's going to be a great day, I know, but we are busy people. However, we're called as parents to make time for those that we've been entrusted, uh, those that have been entrusted to our care. So often in my own life, I've given my two boys the leftovers instead of the quality time that they deserve. I've tried to be involved in their academics or school, their sporting events, uh, the dating scene, which they weren't real happy about, but I got involved anyway. (laughs) They're going over to somebody's house, you know, and you're going to want cell phone numbers and who you're going to be with and names of the parents, where's the address, what's the license plate number of the car you're going to be in. I mean, you want to know a lot of stuff. And in the moment, they roll their eyes, but deep down, I think, oh, my dad loves me. He cares about me. He wants to know what's going on in my life. I've tried to have been there, but my attitude hasn't always been there. I may have been there physically, but sometimes a million miles away in my thought process, thinking about other things. Several years ago when Robin and I got married, uh, we had two, two years up front of just getting to know each other and taking some road trips and having some fun along the way. And then uh, two years later, Tanner, our oldest, was born. Uh, and for me in my life, I had... Uh, I've kind of been modeled uh, without spoken words, but just kind of seen from a distance that dad goes and earns the money and mom takes care of the kids. My mom was a stay-at-home mom, and so that's kind of visually what I had seen in my life growing up. And so when Tanner came home from the hospital, I loved on that boy, but guess what? It was up to mom to take care of that boy. I went and made the money, what little money we had, until finally a few weeks into it, Robin came to me in tears saying, I can't do this alone. I I need you in the mix. And it crushed me. I didn't realize what I was doing. So you bet. I jumped in the mix and I learned how to give baths and change diapers and tuck Tanner in at night and we'd tell bedtime stories. He got older, of course, and as uh, those devotional times happened, we'd tuck him in and I'd give him a kiss on the cheek. We were not a kissing-on-the-mouth family as I was growing up. But I'll never forget time and time again kissing Tanner on the cheek raising up, and before I even got set up in bed, he would already be saying, no, Daddy, on the lips, on the lips. I miss those times. He doesn't ask me for that anymore, but... (laughs) 
He is 23 now. You know, the enemy will tell you, especially when you're part of a church family, hey, the kids' ministry and the youth ministry, that's their job to take care of my kid, to teach them scripture, to raise them spiritually, but that's not what the Bible says. The Bible calls us, as their parents, to lean into them, to tell the story of God over and over again, that we partner with the church. We partner with those ministries to raise our kids, but it's our our job first to do that. And so I want to encourage you this morning that you take time out in your schedule to pour into your kids the story of God and how they can be better people in life. Take that time at mealtime to talk about the day, who they interacted with, how those interactions went, maybe what Jesus would do in the moment. Take those times that you're traveling in the car together. Maybe it's picking up from school and coming home or leaving home and going to baseball practice, whatever it might be. Take that time in the car to talk about life. When you tuck them in at night, remind them of how much God loves them and how much you love them. See, our our goal here at Crosspoint for our men and our men's ministry is that we would become men of God who have spiritually healthy homes who are leading our families in a godly way and praying with and for our families. And so scattered throughout the year, the course of the year, we have several moments where guys get together and do things to encourage one another, to ask how life is going, to ask some questions maybe of that older generation. They've already been where I haven't been yet, and so I want to get some information. Maybe in the spring, like when we have our men's ministry conference and we get together for a weekend and just talk about life and Scripture and how God's called us to live. Maybe it's during the school year on Thursday nights when we get together for our men's Bible study to talk about what Scripture says and how we can live that out. Maybe it's once a month for Guy's Burger Night where we just get together and kind of rub elbows and see how life is going. Maybe it's in ministry-type events, whether it's building a fence for our playground or getting together a group of guys to go help someone fix their home. Those are moments when you can bring your kiddo along and show them this is how we serve, this is how we do family of God's stuff and show them what it looks like to be that man of God. And I know that your schedules are packed. I know that you're tired after a long day. But look what Matthew records Jesus saying in Matthew chapter 11, beginning in verse 28. Jesus says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. God says, I am here for you to lean on. I'm here to listen to what's going on in your life. I want to be a part of what's happening in your life. Dad, a scary question for me as well. If we were to take your child just off in a room by themselves, without you present, whether you're 15, whether that child is 15 or 50 years old, and we ask them the question, what's the most important thing to your dad? What would they answer? Is it the church? Is it the car, the job, your mother, the Bible? What would they answer in that moment? We're called to pour into our kids so that they know when asked that question, the first thing on the list would be something 
that has to do with God. The third habit I want to encourage us this morning to lean into would be that God's created our position for spiritual leadership, whether you're a mom or you're a dad. We're called to lead our family, not passively sit by and let life happen, but we're to happen to life. We're to get out there and lead. And so several things that fall under this, would one would be that we would teach our kids respect. That's the heart of discipleship, isn't it? That we would respect what God's called us to live and how he's called us to live. How we would treat others around us. That we would respect that generation that's older than us. Lean into them for some stories about how to live life. That we would respect our peer group that we run around with. That we would respect authority, whether that's mom or dad or the police force or, yes, even the office of the president of the United States. But that we would be respectful Paul addresses this in Ephesians chapter 6 when he's writing the church in Ephesus. And right up front, he starts out by saying, honor your father and your mother. Paul goes on to say, this is the first commandment that has two promises with it. I want to lean into those promises because it says, you're going to have long life on the earth and things will go well with you. I want to cash in on those blessings, don't you? I want to respect those around me. The second would be that we would model what grace looks like. If you are a parent, you've had lots of opportunity to show what grace looks like, right, to your kids? Absolutely. I remember one day coming home from work and walked in the door and I hollered for the family, Robin, Garrett, Tanner, where are you guys at? No answer at all. I walked into to Garrett's room and earlier in their life I had actually cut out and uh, built a, a paddle. We spanked the boys when they, were, when they were young. And I remember walking into Garrett's room, no answer, and that paddle was broken on his bed. Garrett, he's right here. <laughs> and I thought to myself, oh Lord, she is burying the body in the backyard. <laughs> it was a soft wood, and so she'd actually tried to get his attention and tapped it on his bedpost, and it broke in half. And she was outside offering some grace to Garrett in the moment. But we've all had that moment, haven't we, in life where we didn't make a good decision and we needed grace, maybe not only from our, our parents, but also from God. And so because I received that grace from God, I pass it on to those around me, especially my family. We also want to call ourselves to share our faith with our kids. So important that they know your faith story. How did you come to know Jesus Christ? What happened to you to make you want to follow Jesus Christ? How were you baptized? Was it at the church building? Was it at camp? Was it in a creek or maybe a pond? How did you come in relationship with God through Jesus Christ? Tell your story to your kids so they too can see, oh, this is how it works. This is what it's all about. I too can have that relationship with God. We're also called to protect our family at all cost. Yes, from the bad guys, certainly, but from lots of other things as well. Sometimes, as parents, it's not always the popular answer, but we just need to say no. You're not going there, you're not doing that, you're not buying that thing, you're not going to listen to that music, because we've been down that road. We need to help form them into the person God wants them to be. King David says in Psalm chapter 68, 
this picture of what God looks like. And we're called to imitate God as parents. But David says, let the godly rejoice. Let them be glad in God's presence. Let them be filled with joy. Sing praises to God, to his name. Sing loud praises to him who rides the clouds. His name is the Lord. Rejoice in his presence. For he is the father of the fatherless, defender of widows. This is God whose dwelling is holy. God places the lonely in families. And we see how much God loves his creation. And we equally are called to love on his creation. Whether actual flesh and blood kids or those adopted along the way, those you see in your neighborhood or right here in our congregation, lift them up and remind them of how important they are, not only to you, but in the story of God. Probably the, the best picture of the most perfect parent that we could see is in Matthew chapter 3. It's during the baptism of Jesus right before he begins his ministry. We read what Matthew writes rather in verse 13. Then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized, verse 16. After his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my dearly loved Son, who brings me great joy. Oh, the picture of the perfect Father. You see, within that one text, we find three different things that you and I need to be imitating in our own life with those around us. The text says, This one belongs to me. God says, you mess with him, you mess with me. You, you get him and you've got me. You back him, you back me. This one belongs to me. The text also says, this one I love deeply. This is my son. He loves you. God loves you for who you are, not for what you have done or not done. You are his creation. You are his adopted family. He's adopted you and I as sons and daughters. He loves you. And finally in this text, he says, this one I am proud to call mine. You belong to me. We are in this story together. He tells that to us as well. As he created the story that sent his son so that you and I could be back in relationship with him as his adopted sons and daughters. Let's watch. How easy it is for us to forget what it was like when we were once family. The times we shared.
How easy it is for us to forget how to love. How easy it is for us to forget how to smile. And that's what God does for us. We're rebellious, we push away, we want to do our own thing. And yet he still sits on the porch and he longs to see us coming up the drive. We make our own decisions that send us down one direction that results in a negative outcome. And then God comes and he picks us up. And he puts us on his shoulders. And he says, no matter what, I'm not leaving you. You're my son. You're my daughter. I want the very best for you. And I'm willing to do whatever it takes to have that relationship with you. I'm willing to go as far as to send my son to die on that cross so that his blood will cleanse you and make you whole again. That way you could be my son and my daughter. I love you that much. His question is, how much do you love me? Are you willing to come home? Do you want to be part of the family? Because all is forgiven. There's nothing that could keep you away. I'm simply waiting for you. I'm going to invite Brad and the praise team back to the stage at this time. Our shepherds and their wives will be gathered along the wall of this room. And on this Father's Day, I want to encourage you not only to to hug on your own fathers, but to remember a father who went the distance for you. How will you celebrate him today? Let's stand and sing together.